0: She was, by the way, one of my first really like interesting and cool interactions in real life with a metamorph. Yeah. I mean, she was dating somebody at one point when that I was interested in too. And I remember being at work one day and she uh, sent me a text message of the two of them together. And I, I made it like, Weebly thought was like, Oh my God, why is this person flaunting this at me? Blah, blah. blah. And I like, I was like, Whew. and I like got up and I put my phone down and I like walked outside and I was like, don't, you know, like don't message back right now. And I like stood outside and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She's trying to include me. I don't, Oh, I don't like something about it. I don't, but wait, this is the thing that you're actually mo is your core fear with metamores is that you're going to not get included. And she's actually actively including you by connecting with you about this and, and reaching out to you. And I went back in and I kind of fake it till you make it moment with that belief. And I was like, thank you. And then whatever, I don't remember what the rest of the interaction was, But I felt better and I felt her loving me and wanting to be in connection with me and wanting me to be in connection with that
1: shared lover. And that was revolutionary. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from all over the world to hear their personal journeys of self-discovery through the lenses of love, sex, and relationships.
2: Our mission is to show people that they're not alone and to inspire them to embrace their true selves so that together we can open minds and live authentically without shame.
1: We believe everyone's story is powerful and beautiful, yet it's important to remember that everyone does life a little bit differently, and that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own.
2: Additionally, we aren't doctors. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to episode 329. (laughs) We're Finn and Emma. First
2: take. (laughs) First (laughs) take.
1: Uh, not quite. <laughs> anyway. Second
2: take. Second take.
1: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Today, we are thrilled to bring you a conversation with Anna. Anna is amazing, if we do say so ourselves. We the- do. <laughs> As you'll see in this episode, they are an incredible storyteller, an artist, a counselor, a writer, and an activist. And we're really excited for this conversation.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. As we've already said so ourselves, (laughs) this uh, is a really beautiful conversation about an incredibly powerful journey. And I think one of the things that I love about it is just the amount of compassion for others and self-compassion that Anna has and sort of the knowing that we're all doing our best and that all of the experiences and challenges we face in life and overcome really make us really what make us who we are, and it's really just a very human conversation.
1: Yeah, agreed.
2: We also talk a lot about metamors.
1: We do, because happy Metamor Day! February 28th is Metamor Day.
2: Yeah, so just to be clear, this entire conversation is not only about metamors, although the way metamors have shown up in Anna's lives and the role that those relationships have played is a major thread, but that's not all we talk about.
1: No, we talk about so much more throughout this episode. However, the first 10 to 15 minutes, we do cover a lot about metamors. For anyone who's not familiar with the term, it is often referred to as your partner's partner or those that love the ones that we love. And so we we have a, just an incredible conversation with Anna about metamors at the beginning, and just it's a, a theme throughout too.
2: Yeah, so you'll learn that Anna is the I would say the champion behind Metamore Day, not the only one, and, and they'll talk about that. But uh, you can head over to metamoreday.com to learn more about some of Anna's work and what Metamore Day is. The other thing we would love for you to check out is, as, as Emma said earlier, Anna is an artist, and they don- um, they donated five different designs for postcards that are designed to be sent to your metamors to show metamore love, metamore appreciation. And you can buy those cards, five cards for $18 through Bloom, our friends over at Bloom, the Bloom community app. And first of all, all of the links to this stuff is in the show notes, so you don't have to write it down. You can head over to our podcast show notes at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or in your podcast player. But You head over to Bloom's website, the link in the show notes, you can buy five cards for $18. If you would like to save a little bit of money, you can use the discount code NNM, as in normalizing non-monogamy, to save 20%. However, if you don't use that code, you pay the extra 20%, which all of the proceeds for these Cards gets donated to OPEN, which is the Organization for Polyamory and Ethical Non-Monogamy, and they are a nonprofit organization dedicated to fostering the polyamory and non-monogamy movement by advancing cultural acceptance, building political power, and supporting non-monogamous communities and leaders. Yes. I read that from their website. Could <laughs> you okay. tell? Yeah, that's so okay. So the point is, you can buy Metamore cards to celebrate the love for your Metamore relationships. All of the proceeds for those cards go to support nonprofit work to help better the non-monogamous community. And we would love for you to do that. The links are in the show notes. And these cards are amazing. Anna is amazing. Their artwork is amazing. And Go check it all out. And you can also find links to work with Anna as a professional and their counseling work as well in our podcast player show notes. I think that's all the things we needed to say at the beginning of this one. It's a little bit longer because today is a hella awesome day and Anna is a hella awesome person.
1: Agreed. We do have a couple other small things to mention. One is throughout this episode, uh, Anna does mention William, William, who is their husband. Uh, William previously came on the podcast back in episode 234. So if you want to hear his perspective and his story, go listen to that episode. Additionally, uh, Finn mentioned the Bloom community app. If you want to learn more about Bloom, we also – Interview, the CEO and all around badass Noah, back on episode 321. So go listen to that as well.
2: And the last, last, last thing we need to tell you before we jump into this interview for all of the premium subscribers is that around the 26-minute mark of the interview, there is a trigger warning around the topic of suicide. Anna talks about a very dear friend of a Metamor who who passed away a few years ago. And they mention this, they bring it up. It's not talked about in depth, but it is part of their story. It is part of their journey. And we wanted to make sure you knew upfront that if you wanted to skip past that, it's again around the 26, 27 minute mark for a few minutes. So Please keep that in mind and listen at your own comfort.
1: For anyone who's a premium subscriber, we're going to jump into the interview with Anna now. And for anyone else, we do have a few announcements, but we're going to keep them very quick. So first up, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front, jump right into the interview, and you still get important dates in the outro. To sign up, go to our website, Normalizing non Monogamy, scroll down on the homepage and sign up there. Well, you're also there on our homepage, up at the top, you can see a banner for our next virtual meet and greet. Sign up. Please come join us. This is a great way to meet like-minded people. These are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. They're low-pressure, fun events. We Our next one is going to be on Thursday, March 7th in the evening.
2: Yeah, if you don't have any metamores today, that's a great place to meet some people. Uh, and then yeah. Next year on February 20th, you can be doling out the metamore <laughs> cards. Be like, met you on the Normalizing Non-Monogamy virtual meet and greet. So excited to send you this card.
1: Way to, way to um, push it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I push it real good. <laughs> the, the other way that you can incorporate metamores is our favorite way to get tested for STIs, stdcheck.com. I say you round up the whole polycule. Well, Pile into the van, you go grab brunch, and then you head over and get tested for STIs. We use- Not a bad idea. Not a bad, it's a great idea. And then you can exchange cards. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, Pokemon cards, perhaps?
1: You mean Metamore Day cards?
2: That's what I meant, yeah, <laughs> and then I got distracted. So anyway, the whole point about this is stdcheck.com is Emma and I's favorite way to get tested for STIs. Service we've been using and loving for many, many years. If you use the links in the resources tab of our website or in your podcast player show notes below, you get to save $10, which brings the cost of a 10-panel test down to only $129. It also helps support the show financially, which we are super grateful for, and it helps support the greater non-monogamy community because you are better informed about your sexual health, which then you can inform all of your partners who can then tell all of your metamors who then get a card from you. So it's a great day for metamors and non-monogamy all around if you get tested for STIs.
1: Yes, agreed. And a final reminder, reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. You can find that on the contact page of our website.
2: Yeah, we would love to have you come on. You do not have to be the powerhouse behind a national, international holiday, (laughs) nor do you have to be anybody else other than yourself to reach out and come on. We would love to have you come on and share your story.
1: And with that, let's go and talk with Anna.
2: Welcome to the show, Anna. We are super excited to talk to you today. It is a Friday morning for us, for you, the listeners. It's a Wednesday, but happy Friday. It's sunny out. Welcome.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would love for you to start with just introducing yourself.
0: Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Um, My name is Anna. I live in Oakland in the Bay Area. I'm a a transplant by way of Louisiana where I met my husband and before that moved around kind of a lot as a kid. Um, My mother was born and raised and grew up in Norway. And my dad's side of the family is um, Jewish immigrants, not very far back. So I don't know really where I'm from. (laughs) I love being in Oakland. I love living in Oakland. I've definitely, uh, flourished there. And I don't know that I would say that I figured that out quickly. California was a hard place to get, to get, to figure out. And I feel I have a lot of compassion for trying to do that. Um, even past Anna. Um, but I'm really like loving being there. And I have a two master's degrees, one in creative writing. And I still think I'm using it. And one in clinical psychology that I got at San Francisco State. And I think of myself as a storyteller in just a lot of different realms. My undergraduate degree was history. So I've like, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to help tell stories and help people tell their stories, whether it's it's purely narrative form or also in embodied artistic ways. And I I spread myself around joyfully with work as a therapist, as a licensed therapist in California, um, and also as an art maker and an editor and writer on social justice projects. And I just like getting myself busy with a lot of different creative, yeah, narrative-based power building for people individually and collectively.
1: I love it.
2: Yeah, amazing. and. I'm excited now because we get to have you, a storyteller, tell your story to us. And that's one of our favorite things. And before we do that, we want to highlight a little bit of your work because we, we usually, as we said before, we usually do this at the end, but there's some really important things being celebrated today, February 28th. It's yes. Metamore Day. And we have you on specifically to talk a little bit about how you're using your sort of art and creativity to spread the love for Metamores and maybe... We'd love to start there, about a little bit about what Metamore Day is. Maybe for anybody who doesn't know what a Metamore is, uh, that would be a great place. And then how people can find your work and support it. And we would love to start there.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I have, uh, uh, for reasons in my journey with non-monogamy, found the word, the sort of space of what Metamore is, like particularly enlivening. I'm also what I would call a compersion nerd. I'm a friend of your, your friend, Marie ah, um, yes. but I, I am. And so those things kind of go in tandem, you know, trying to access, learn about how do I have a, a practice in compersion, which means basically to me, joy for another's joy mm-hmm. and to have that joy for the metamor and the metamor being like, uh, if, Paramore, which I did some research on this just recently, uh, you know, basic Googling research. Um, the word paramore meant just lover and wasn't illicit. It was literally means para, the par, meaning by and amore. So by love is your lover. And that at some point it got this kind of like darker meaning, but not until like the 14th or 15th century out of the Latin. Hm. I believe it was, I might be getting the century wrong. Don't quote me on that, (laughs) but it was late. Um, And, and that now there's this moment in our kind of nerdy way in people's journeys around non-monogamy that we do, where we like to think about how to describe what we're doing in our current context that we're saying, oh, there's that person who is my lover, my paramour, for me, for example, my husband, and he now has a girlfriend. And that person is something bigger than or beyond the lover relationship just by love. And I've tried to describe it recently as extra love. <laughs> it's like extra, extra, more, bigger. Um, and so we're using the word meta. And so we say metamore, which means like somehow beyond that the lover just by love. It's like somehow beyond when I think about metaphysics or kind of like having a meta-analysis of a situation, Mm -hmm. using meta in that way. Although I do like to make the pun that I'm sending meta, which is the Pali Sanskrit for loving kindness, but often in Latin characters in English, it's spelled M-E-T-T-A as opposed to M-E-T-A.
2: Got it. But yeah. I send
0: metamore to my metamore. <laughs> I guess <laughs> Met- metamore to my metamore or something I'm playing with that. Still
1: working um, still working that out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's what metamore is to me. Um, and I'm somebody who I've been thinking about this in a really joyful way coming here today. I'm like, "Oh, this is inspiring me to get to d- kind of dig in deeper about my own relationship to this, like my history, part of my story, around why metamorphs have been so kind of have like resounded in my growth and my choice to live, non-monogamously. Because it has it got, got early on, really like, "Oh, how am I relating to my husband's partners?" Mm-hmm. And it wasn't always easy. And then sometimes it was very difficult. and I wanted to like um, yeah, take care of myself and take care of the kind of the larger collective, my relationship with my husband and with these other people by trying to be careful with myself around that, grow, be clear, like mess up, forgive myself, do repair with people, all of that good bread and butter relating stuff. And it became clear to me that I really wanted to figure that out. So I started getting kind of a little obsessed with the concept of metamorph. I've been thinking, again, leading up to today about, like, where did this come from in my childhood? That these are some of the ways that I have been, to me, in some ways, I would say, uniquely to me, triggered by or activated or tracking um, the metamore relationship or struggling with compersion or mm-hmm. struggling with joy for their Autonomy, um, and having some really cool thoughts about that. My own therapy this past week, even, yeah. And so, but in that kind of curiosity about that, for years I've been like, I want to like have metamor be a thing. We do something about. And so at some point I came to my husband's name is William. I came to William. And I was like, Oh, there should be a day. We should celebrate metamor Day. This is probably like 2015, 2016, and I'm. Hundred percent certain. I'm not the only person who has had that had that thought. But I started getting his ear about it. He was like, "Oh, that's actually a good idea." And I was like, "Oh, well, he thinks I had a good idea. Yay!" <laughs> Which <laughs> says something about. <laughs> I I that that's a whole other maybe podcast. <laughs> but it felt good to me that he liked that idea, and so I kind of wanted to run with it. And I went out in 2017, I think, and bought the URL metamorday.com. I was like, this should be a thing, and I also bought worldmetamorday.com. At that time, I was really like coming out of my kind of egocentrism as a person growing up in the United States. Yeah, and and didn't do anything with it. Got busy, sat on the URL, and then in 2019, discovered that um, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, somebody there named Kira Harpson. I hope I'm saying her there. I'm not sure their pronouns um correctly. Yeah, they picked a date and ran it as an initiative through NCSF. And so I'm just really happy that people are thinking it's a thing and that it is kind of an idea of its time. And so I started just furiously making art around it. As part of that place I was saying that one of the things I do is is storytelling in a lot of different directions. I got really excited about like can we push this story out of the world? Can we build some narrative power that would help folks connect with their own story and not feel alone in these stories around metamorph specifically. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was amazing. I love the, the entire sort of inception of it is really just sort of fluid and, and beautiful. And that is brought us to today where you're making cards people can buy and support, uh, organization for polyamory and ethical non-monogamy open which is another bay area initiative which is an incredible organization doing advocacy work and maybe you tell people a little bit about the cards how they can find them which will spoiler be links in the podcast show notes so you don't have to write any of this down and then we'll jump into your story because i want to hear about all of the the coming of age of how this happened how we got here with anna
0: (laughs) yeah well, the quickest way I would say to find it is to just go to metamorday.com because okay. I have that URL, so I've been using it, and I'm Yay. trying <laughs> to push people over to Bloom now and push people to NCSF. But you can find all you need to there. So, Perfect. and I'm also I'm also fundraising for something called the Modern Family Institute, which is another initiative in the Bay Area that's trying to expand our definitions and protections around um, what a family is through um, research and like kind of think tank space, uh, maybe more so than as much about like the way open is an action is an organizing, um, um, situation. Um, yeah, but if you go to metamoreday.com, you can go to bloom and you can, um, I do- donated the art to bloom so that they could sell cards to make money for open. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And then the other thing that's on there for for modern family institute is t-shirts. Now I'm selling t-shirts um to try to help them. And the t-shirt designs are everything from like most uh what is there? It's like pretty decent metamorph um, <laughs> all the way to like escalate friendship. That metamore to me can have this really expansive definition as well of like what are just the kind of things we're um navigating in these in these like um unique connections that we're actually making explicit where in monogamy sometimes those connections exist but we we're not explicit about it. Mm-hmm. We just don't call it in. Yeah. Um right. yeah totally. so metamore and um bloom is doing an amazing job of helping, you know, spread the word so they have their own landing page for Metamore Day. And then also we're we're a friend and colleague of mine who's a therapist, Serena Wong. Uh, are throwing an event in Oakland on Metamore Day um, at a establishment, a bar, restaurant called District, mm. where we're inviting people to come out and mingle with their metas. And so we're going to have some light ac- activities. And um, so I, I'm i understanding that this is going to be something people are hopefully listening to um, on the day that this is happening. So today, you know, like go out today to District um, you don't have to like have a ticket, you don't have to sign up. You can just show up a district and you'll be welcome to like have people around to just chat with a little bit about what it's like to have the concept of metamors.
1: Awesome.
2: We had no idea. <laughs> I guess we have a date for Metamor Day. So we'll be we'll be there. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah.
1: That's amazing.
2: Huh, perfect well we're learning and, we're learning something new every and day. if
1: anyone's listening to this episode after february 28th don't worry there'll be another february 28th so and you can celebrate at any time but um there will be more of course yeah thank you for all of that
0: yeah celebrate any time and like in any way if you know you're listening to this and you aren't coming to district hashtag metamore day 2024 on your social yeah. Yeah. join the conversation there
1: yeah, yeah. There's like I love that. There's so many opportunities to join the conversation and to celebrate in your own way. And it doesn't even have to. That's like be on the 28th. Like celebrate whatever you feel called to celebrate when when you do. So it's just I think it's an important recognition. Mm-hmm. And I love that this is here. And I love that it's also like such a great reminder to celebrate it throughout the year. I love that. Yeah. Um, thank you for all of that. We and,
2: w- and all of the work you and
1: do. And all of the work you do.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh we would absolutely love for you to dive in and let us know kind of where I'm trying to think of where to start. Like there's so many questions I have. Um like where did non-monogamy alternative relationships enter your life?
0: Yeah, I um I had a relationship um with someone when I that started when I was very young. Um that I look back on in like uh, sort of a very tender way. I was a freshman in in high school and I was with that person until I was like a junior in college and we, we didn't know how to do relationships. And I have, I don't know if the, you know the bitmoji where the character, um, it's uh, like just an um, a avatar where the character is like taking their whole heart and they like rip it out of their chest and they hand it out. <laughs> and I look at that avatar and I'm like, oh yeah, that is how I existed in that relationship with that person because I didn't know. And I think that it had something to do for sure with my childhood and some of the chaos of the household that I grew up in. And that person actually ended the relationship. And it was extremely hard for me to feel that in that moment, but I'm very grateful to him for it. And after that, I was like, kind of on this really, really like, uh, I swung the other direction. I was like, oh my God, I am never doing that again. I will never need anyone. <laughs> and I'm like saying this to my mom on the phone one day. She's like, wow. <laughs> um, um. And I still kind of fight sometimes. Like I have this kind of cute argument. I don't know if that's correct, but a uh, conversation with a local uh, educator, Marsha Bajinski, about how some needs are actually really personal to the person And Marsha's like, yeah, but could you get that need met another way? (laughs) Um, And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll think about that more. Um, She's really (laughs) helped me expand how I get my needs met. But yeah, I moved to um, Louisiana at some point, found some folks. I was living in Chicago for college at that point. I moved to Louisiana and found some folks that I knew there who were trying to practice um, non-monogamy and was like, what is that? and then i was getting into a relationship with william my husband and trying to figure out what i was going to do with that place in me that didn't want to to feel so so kind of like i don't know risky that i was giving my whole heart to somebody again but that i knew i needed to give my heart again to the world for my own sake and like one version of this, which is kind of a hilarious story between me and William, is that as I was also concurrently, as a person who, um, yeah, felt very affected and around sexual repression, um, was trying to find my sexual freedom um, and learn about my sexuality, had a date with William and went to a friend and tried to describe it as like joyfully a one night I succeeded at having a one night stand. <laughs> of now we're like <laughs> approaching 15 years later of marriage and near 20 years of relationship. Oops. Um, but I I got to I got to experience flying in that way in that moment feeling like I could that I could you know go after that and feel proud of that even. That I could feel proud of have, having a sexual experience that I was in charge of and didn't have to, you know, immediately fall into someone else's container around. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was really, that was huge for me to get to do that.
2: Totally. Well, it sounds like a lot of the narrative was based on your bitmoji that like, if you do this, you rip out your heart and you give it to them. And that is. The only, like those two are inextricably linked and that's the only option. And you must give everything versus like, maybe I could give up a little bit here and a little bit here. I mentioned even the concept of non-monogamy at that point was really revolutionary from the, give your whole heart to one other person.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And I, I, and I, and then, and, but then it was still stuff was like trained into me. Sure. So so then I like, I'm like, okay, I'm on this path of maybe trying to titrate. That's a word I know now from my therapy training. At the time, I think I was trying to titrate, get a little bit of freedom and a little bit of security, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of security. Mm-hmm. But at that time, then when I'm saying to William, like, yeah, please go have other experiences. This is the world I want. And so he does. And then I was like, Oh my God, my body does not know how to deal with this. I am like, like totally not um, trained for this to, in some way, to sort of know how to handle it. So I, I had a very, I used to describe it as like I took a wrecking ball to the training of monogamy in me. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but it got, got a lot done fast inside me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I did was resilient and I did work through it and I really stood up for myself around that had all my feelings. And, you know, William has all of his truths and feelings, and that is, it really matters that he has his path around these things. So I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't tend to think to try to talk too much about how that was for him. I find myself very curious. I know he was. Yeah, just having his own experience around that. and I, But I know how much he loves me. And we went through some rocky times around that. And we continue to, you know, try to work through how we're connecting in life. And I'm just really grateful that he keeps showing up for that with me. And I would be grateful if he didn't. I remember sitting at one point and the two of us having this conversation of like, the most important thing is when we're ready to not be doing this together anymore, that we say that to each other and then that's going to be okay somehow
2: that's a i would say one of the most powerful and and impossible things to tell a partner especially a partner of you know almost two decades like that's that's a really intense and beautiful thing to be able to say and and then to really believe
0: yeah and i think we believed it from the beginning i think we knew yeah. it Mm -hmm. and i think you know we talk sometimes about the capacity versus the um the the value i think we valued it we knew the value of it and we've been working on our capacity to be with it and move through the feelings around it
2: with with the practice of non-monogamy that that it hasn't been an easy road but that you see the value in the work to at least practice to keep working towards it, not that there's ever an end goal that you've achieved a non monogamous enlightenment, but just that it is a it's an ever sort of changing growth practice of how how do we relate to different people in different ways? And come back to ourselves at the same time?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Easy work. Easy work for a Friday morning.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed, graced with the cur- some of my current career path because that's my job now. So I get to practice all the time. How do I track myself? How do I show up for myself? How do I track my clients? How do, I sh- how do I show up for my clients? How do I show up for understanding the wider system that we're all in? Whether it's like their person that they're struggling with and talking to me about, or just living in this social, sociopolitical context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I get to practice, I think, what you're talking about constantly. And then I have to remember that means I need to be gentle with people who don't spend the same amount of time practicing them.
2: That. Yeah. That's true. It's not everybody's daily work and and that's it true. Very true. I'm I'm curious Anna for you it sounds like the initial stages for you were Williams out fostering other connections and that was the initial place you landed of having to work through those emotions at what point or at any point did you start to think about could you relate to multiple people in the in in a similar way or in your own way
0: yeah yeah i mean and i'll never be able to tell you the whole story so yeah. <laughs> this is going to and people can and that so there's something true about the fact that he was sort of in some way out there first and when that moment happened where he hooked up with someone I was on a trip and I tried to hook up with someone and I didn't, I decided I didn't want to because I just wasn't that into that person.
2: <laughs> wow. That's big.
0: Um, and so sort of like, also there's a truth that is something about how the like cards landed that I don't know how, uh, that might've, that might've gone very differently. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah, I think even in that moment I fairly immediately was like wait a minute. I actually need to like focus here. Like I need to do some work to focus here because I want this. I want more experiences. I want more connection. I was doing things I was so um you know because of that early relationship that I had. I was really unpracticed. I had very little like dating. I had very little sexual practice. I'd had two other sexual partners before William, um, in my like mid twenties to late twenties. And so I really had to go like, Whoa. And I was doing kind of clunky things like reaching out to a girlfriend who told me about sex. She had one time to be like, well, would you do that with me? (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, no. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, is this not how this is done? (laughs) Um, so I feel like my I definitely had more and you know, I had more growth in that way to do, but I don't think I was actually that far behind William in, in caring about it. I had some theory early on that maybe there was some way that, you know, emotionally I was like more wanting or spacious to connect with people more people in more emotional ways, and that he was more spacious around connecting with people in more sexual ways. I don't know if that's true. But I definitely remember uh, getting comfortable with the idea that I was going to be having big feelings about multiple people probably before and that he was too, I think. I think I felt more comfortable with the big feelings and I've always felt more scared or, or like left behind around the sex, um, And I want to doubt myself as soon as I say that. I don't know if that's totally true, but I, I, I remember like going to Burning Man in like 2011 or 2012. Um, we met in 2005, and I think it was like 2006 or seven that we started opening up. So 2011, 2012, I was like massively in love with this other person, and I was at Burning Man, and we're standing there going like, "That's okay." I can't feel this. Like, I remember just being out on Playa for some reason and having this moment where I was like, this is comfortable. This doesn't mean anything about William or me. This is okay. Um, and I think I knew that about what was going on with him with other people that broke down for me, um, in 2017. And it's interesting that like remembering we have whole lives and whole histories to deal with. That really broke down for me in 2017 when I went through a really traumatic loss. Um, one of my best friends died um, from suicide. I don't know mm. if you want to put mm. a trigger warning on this episode now for mentioning we, that.
2: We can, yeah, um, for
0: sure. Yeah, and that really like broke me in some ways to my core, and I lost track of my ability to show up for relating in a lot of ways. I went to a grief group around it a bunch. I went to my first silent meditation. I was in my own therapy. I tried boot stabilizers finally for the first time in my life. I was exercising like crazy. I was trying to do all things, but I couldn't go be in social spaces. Um, and one of the things that really happened for me is I think I had a, a, like a broken thought somewhere in my mind that I had to reweave back into a different kind of meaning. I was with her very, like a day or two before she died. And I had this very like uncontrollable, I can say it now with more control in my voice, but uncontrollable experience feeling of a, of a cognition that if I talked to people, they might die. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you had experience. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was really struggling to be in social spaces at all for a while. And that was not, wonderful for my feeling about, um, either William or my long-term partner at the time who was, you know, in his other relationships. So this is another person, Joe, who I met in 2010 and started dating in 2011. And we've been dating pretty uh, consistently that entire time, this entire time we're still together. But yeah, I just like really because, like, I don't know if I can be in connection with anyone, let alone bringing it back to metamors, some of the metamors. And so I really, that moment, like, I was not at my high capacity emotionally. I was very, like, oh my God, I can't handle the feelings at all. And I think personally that that rattled old stuff that sometimes made the, emotional stuff in my non-monogamy journey uh, difficult from my childhood and stuff from my from my mom and my dad and f- friends when I was a little kid and 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 aggravated that stuff and then it ended up motivating me to work on it even harder so I feel more stable and more calm I have way more tools to come inside and say oh Anna <laughs> it's okay you're freaking out right now what's going on what's going on? Okay, does this remind you of something? Do you think someone's about to get hurt? Is this dad yelling? What is this? You know, and I now can do that in a way that like, so the feeling part really just feels really much more stable. I don't have nights that I (laughs) lay up in bed, kind of like spinning and activated, that sometimes, you know, attachment activation can cause us to like have insomnia or have perseverating thought or feel really like activated in the body I don't get nearly as much of that and I've learned to be much much more gentle with how I hold myself and so I'm like oh this is really wonderful I'm really learning like a little bit more about how to fully heal and I look back on that friendship and I do the like like really bitter bitter bittersweet thing of thanking her of like making out of her the loss of her life so much more life in me and I celebrate her her name is MJ she was a photographer she was an incredible human being um yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. thank you for sharing and to bring it around to what you just landed at like it has been a journey Right from that experience. And yeah, it's just amazing Um, that not that anybody should go through what you've been through or um, what she went through or anything like that, but that there can be beautiful things even in horrific things. Yeah. Yeah. She was, by the
0: way, one of my first really like interesting and cool interactions in real life with a metamorph. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was dating somebody at one point when that I was interested in too. And I remember being at work one day and she uh, sent me a text message of the two of them together. And I, I made it like, Weevily thought was like oh my god why is this person flaunting this at me yeah and i like i was like and i like got up and i put my phone down and i like walked outside and i was like don't you know like don't message back right now and i like stood outside and i was like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute she's trying to include me i don't I don't like something about it. I don't, but wait, this is the thing that you're actually moat is your core fear with metamorphs is that you're going to not get included. And she's actually actively including you by connecting with you about this and, and reaching out to you. And I went back in and I kind of fake it till you make it moment with that belief. And I was like, thank you. And then whatever, I don't remember what the rest of the interaction was, but I felt better and I felt her loving me and wanting to be in connection with me and wanting me to be in connection with that shared lover. and that was revolutionary. she's also she was also a meditator and told me early on in our connection that she spent time one time sitting in a meditation trying to send me meta the the loving kindness the mm-hmm. TTA meta and yeah I got to experience through her such a like a revolutionary way of being in connection with a metamor. And it probably set me on a path. I have lost track how many times I've had metamor interactions. I date too much. The people I date date too much. So there is so much metamor relating that I'm dealing with, but she was one of the first that like less, like left an impression about, what I could do, what other people could do, what we could do together differently.
2: Mm-hmm. And I love the the amazing reframe of this isn't them trying to snipe me. This is them trying to pull me in. But in the moment, it's so easy to flip to the the activation and be like, this has to be like, because we're trained so much that everything has to be of a you versus me or a me versus you or us versus the world versus like, Hey, we to know that, that she sat and like in her time, sat and meditated and thought about you. And like, that that's the type of person you're dealing with, not somebody who's like, I'm going to show her how much I'm like friend, you know, with her partner. Like, it's not about that, but it's so easy to go there.
1: Well, it's like flipping it in that moment from like, and like feeling like an attack to like, Oh no, I'm going to assume good intent on her part. Even that, like that, like fake it till I make it. Right now, like I'm trying to assume good intent. I'm having other emotions come up, but I'm just gonna, like, I, I, I really do want to assume good intent, and I'm, and that you were able to work through it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can give myself a little bit of credit for that
1: too. Yes, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That is not easy, and it takes, it takes slowing down in that moment, Mm. like. Um, you know, you didn't respond right away. You went outside for a few minutes, you sat with it. Like when something like that happens, I think that just taking a moment to slow down is the most helpful thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love too. And I think that one of the things that is easy for people, especially new to non-monogamy is to see people who've been doing it for 20 years or to say, oh, well, this person has a website metamore day. They must be like the master of metamores and compersion. And what you've shared with us over the last few minutes is that this hasn't been, you didn't just wake up that way. You know, you didn't graduate high school, a wizard in compersion and, and mastering metamore, but you you've done work, you've gone through experiences. It's been hard. You talked about even just until recently where you would stay up late, you know, ruminating on stuff or feeling activated. And so I just giving people, like, I want people to catch that, that this isn't for everybody. This isn't just easy. And yet you still persevere and you still show up and do this for, for reasons that, you know, maybe are really hard to say, like, I do it because this, I get, this right i i think so much people are like well it's got to be you know all the sex it's like you have no clue the the sex to like work ratio that actually exists or the work to sex ratio that actually exists in Mm. cultivating these types of relationships and so i'm just grateful that you you share that this wasn't just yeah i'm the metamore master and that's why i bought the website
0: (laughs) totally yeah, totally. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know what I would have I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have some of the resources that I've had. You know, I've landed in really a lot of like lucky moments. I have done some cool things. I think I have to always remember that I do cool things and the world does cool things for me. And it's gotta be I've gotta stay humble with both of those things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I'm curious. This is sort of an off-the-cuff question. If if you were to get rid of being humble for a minute and share one of the really cool things you've done, I'd love to hear one of those.
0: Oh, interesting. That's a fun question. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Um. You know, I think I my ethic is can be really um, inspiring for people. Um, There was a moment early on in our lives in in California when a lover of Williams was pregnant. And it was uh, not likely at all that this was Williams' kid. And she chose, for her good reasons, not to do the amniocentesis testing. Uh, She wanted to do whatever she felt like was the safest for the child. And that test has some risks to it. Uh, as I understand. So she, and she wanted to keep the kid. And so there was this moment where I was like, well, I don't, I'm not signing up for non-monogamy and the risks that come with that, and then not signing up for the, the humanity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was like, okay, that's your right. You're, I'm only gonna tell you, I, I'm a, like, I had a, like a, Half a moment, it's okay to say how I feel about this. And then I'm 100% going to say, What are you choosing? And how are you doing it? And some of what happened around that was that I ended up becoming her birthing partner. And I showed up at that level. I was like, I want to make sure this is how we're doing community. And so I was like, I learned a lot of really interesting stuff. It's the only time I have been at a live birth. You know, there were multiple of the, of the potential fathers who showed up that day and were, you know, in the process in that way. And I I think that's really cool that I had that ethic that was going to like live the village if I was going to step into the village. Yeah, that's beautiful. The kid, by the way, is not Williams. I didn't end up (laughs) panning out in that way, which is what we thought would happen. And I feel cool about having built community in that way. In that moment leaned toward it that way. And I think I did a better job. Uh, There's not a, like a, someone should do that if that wasn't right for them. It was right for me and it was cool that I did it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, so many people would, I think, even to your point earlier about well if if now is the time that we should not be partnered we will we will honor that like so many people can say that, but to actually walk it and and you're here saying, I'm now looking at a situation where my husband might be the father of somebody else's child, and i'm I'm not just saying that i'm I'm actually here for it like that's powerful
0: yeah yeah i I think that i I'm pretty good post-recovery from the traumatic grief that I was in and then healing even some of the older stuff from my childhood. I'm pretty good at this moment, at this stage of really being able to stand in kind of sort of radical relating and revolutionary relating that doesn't deny how big the story of my relationship with William is. It will always be that, no matter what he and I do. If we lived on opposite sides of the planet and somehow we're not speaking to each other for some reason, I will. I know how big our story is. I don't need to fight around that anymore. I just know that. Yeah. Well, that, that can't be erased. I can't. We can't undo that now.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's beautiful. I, th- I think too, <laughs> a moment of levity for me is that really puts into perspective the, I can't believe you're taking your partner to our favorite restaurant. Like that seems like a much smaller uh, <laughs> weight in comparison to to what you've decided not to, not to make and, light.
1: <laughs> and can bring that, just that can bring up emotion. <laughs> oh, I'm
2: well aware. That's what I mean. Like that is one that we hear often is like, I can't, like that was our place. That was our thing. And you did it with your partner. And so I just, to me, this is like, Well, that's a, that's a whole new level, but I guess. Well,
0: and still does.
2: Yes. You know, still, still I still,
0: I hear certain things from either Joe or William and I can have this moment of like, "Uh, I know, I don't, and I don't even mean that I don't sometimes probably some shadow of myself act in some crappy, crabby, shitty ways, but my baseline through all of the work that I've done has, has leveled something about that out again. Now, life events might change that. I can't, I'm not trying to say I get now to be in this way forever either.
2: Sure.
1: I
0: might become I might become crappy for either of them again at some point <laughs> or for
1: myself. And I will have to face that at that time. Yeah. 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 I'm curious. And I feel like we kind of, piece this together but if you could explicitly like share a little bit about how like on a day-to-day week-to-week basis non-monogamy looks like for you today
0: yeah well right now i'm i'm actually traveling interstate to support joe with some family stuff uh so i'm out of town uh on that kind of trip that that he and i've done a little bit more of recently and so there's sort of like this kind of feeling of checking in that I think both William and I just gravitate toward like most, most of the time it's daily, but not always like how you're doing, how was your day? We're tracking each other, even if we're not in the room together and I'll go back to the house that we live in together um, on Saturday. And, you know, the next trip that I have planned is with him back to Louisiana for some friends who are also non-monogamous that are getting married um, and to see family there, we have a, a, a newish nephew of a couple years who I really want to spend time more time with, and that is exciting for me to get to like have that trip planned with William. That feels fun, um, and I like more and more the idea of thinking about other relating that I do as comets. I don't think I've until just very recently was like stewing on what that could mean in my own therapy for me. Like, did I want that? Would, I, would that be a, a helpful thing for me? Because one of the things that I, I'm also kind of trying to figure out for myself is, oh, two partners feels like my capacity at this point in my life. And I might change, that might change, but I have been pretty consistently in that truth for the past like six years, five, six years, like, whoa, I can't do more than that in terms of like the level of what I call partnership and how I like to relate, like consistently traveling with someone showing up for, you know, dates and relating and whatever. And so then I spread around a little bit more um, in a pretty demisexual way, liking to have heart connection, really mad, the friendship part mattering almost more than anything. And then like building like romantic stuff on top of that with a lot of addressing openly with clarity, like this is what I have space for. This is what I have time for. Maybe some sometimes too often describing it as anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm really anxious. I can't show up for more than this, but please don't go away. <laughs> Um, can we flirt, but like in a way that's like every couple months? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's like my my solar system right now. I was sort of joking that I'm if I'm an Earth and the sun is like my purpose. I have a couple moons and some comets, and I love living in the community I live in. We have some friends who've been calling our uh, friend circles particules which is like, you know, a spin on polycule that we're like also kind of this additional thing beyond being in a polyamorous kind of like community, a tight knit community that we actually like to do it in a celebratory way. So we're a partycule and we, you know, on our, on our group chat threads where there's like everything from what are you all doing this weekend to like, oh no, I got sick. Can someone bring me soup? (laughs) But, but that, solar bigger solar system that I'm in with all the other planets and their their different orbits with each other, I'm really grateful for it feels like one of the also most important things for how I handle myself. Like I don't think I can totally get away from what was learned, taught into me about partnership and that that cadence feels really yeah, just like enlivening and stabilizing concurrently for me. And so I want partnership, whatever I can mean by that. And I think it's these two people <laughs> and then there's more room for more. I am still in my own personal question mark around parenting. And I know that either way, whether I have a kid at some point or I don't have a kid at some point, I will get to grieve something. And that will necessarily change whatever that constellation is like, that they might become a sun for me in a way. Um, if I, if I end up in that place. Yeah. And I don't know. And then any other number of life events might shift what that looks like, but that's what it, that's a, a, a kind of a, I guess
1: a rundown I think of what it looks like right now. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful summary.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. I, there's a, the sort of the way, it's it's fun to hear you sort of describe this because it's been something that I've been thinking a lot about is the the concept of forming connection based on capacity rather than based on like almost the intensity of the quote, the feeling, right? to be like, this might feel like a level 1000, but like, my capacity is I can go to like a level 10. Like I could see you once every six months because just not because I want you to go away or I don't care, but just that's not, my life can't do that today. And, and those are such weird things to hold simultaneously true.
0: Totally. And it's, you know, it's extremely vulnerable. And we go back to Marsha Braczynski's teaching on desire, desire smuggling, this idea that we find all kinds of ways to try to have our desire come through in unconscious ways that that's a clue that, that we're actually like sort of scared to name what we actually really want. That when things can feel like power dynamics and tug of war, we might be really just fighting up against the intensity of the vulnerability of speaking our desire and like the, the, all the different layers of desire. Like I really want to be in like a love affair with you. On a Tuesday, and now I feel like I'm asking you to be my unicorn. And that's really scary to say. And then, you know, the grief work and the disappointment work and the expectation work of like, okay, and now I've said it. And whatever you say back has got to be okay. That's your boundary, it's your truth. Mine, mine's mine, and yours is yours. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I th- <laughs> I could sit and talk about this for like five hours because it's so <laughs> interesting. Even what you just said, like I could yeah. say like on a Tuesday, like I, like, I want to have a love affair. And I think that's such a cool way to describe it of like, maybe it's like really intense, really passionate. And it happened on a Tuesday and we don't see each other for 15 more Tuesdays. And even then it's a mystery, but like that doesn't devalue what just happened. It doesn't devalue the other person and or it doesn't devalue you. That all of those can all exist all at once and it not be like disrespectful or shitty in any way, if you're just honest about it, like this is it. And you won't see me probably for six months, but not because of anything other than life. And will that work for you? Yes or no. We should decide together. Do we do this?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, y'all you, you are familiar with Polysecure, mm-hmm. and you probably heard uh, this idea of like a a safer sex conversation around STI, the safer sex conversation around what is it going to mean to each other. And I have this feeling that effectively what Jessica did in that book was to sort of offer this idea that you can have a safer relationship conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of relationship might we have that will feel? like safe for us now we can don't do it perfectly. We're always doing risk management for ourselves and collectively, but to be able to say, Oh, this is a kind of conversation that we can address and bring up and have an open channel for was a really beautiful revolutionary kind of space that I got out of her book actually. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that reflection and, and the, the way you just framed that is, is great. Um, there's so much, there's so much here.
2: Well, I, that reframe is really, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. Right. Because we, we do, if we're going to go in and have a sexual interaction with somebody, we talk about what are your yeses? What are your nos? What does, you know, what would feel safe to you? What is, what are, what are your practices around this? And then to be able to translate that to a relationship and be like, okay, Hey, if we go out on a date, what does that mean to you? What are you expecting tomorrow? What are you expecting out of that? Are you looking for some are you looking for a, a live-in nesting partner to co-parent your kids? or are you looking for somebody to go out and go running with once a month and be a little flirty with? Those are all valid ways to relate, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: very different. And if you if one of you wants the live-in co-parent and one of you is looking to go for a run, it's going to be tough to mesh those together. You got together. Mismatched. It's Just, yeah, just as if, you know, one person shows up to the to a sexual interaction, like I'm, you know, into super rough, you know, kinky stuff. And the other person's like, I'm in a really light, you know, um, calm, caring place. I couldn't do that, right? You're not going to have a good time. But, like, we don't talk about that. We just, uh Yes, thank you for saying that. <laughs> I, will, I will not spend the next hour unloading about this.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for bringing it back into that space because that is the pl- a place a place where people are kind of really like practicing and looking at it. You know, like so, it's like just even the STI conversation can- is still like w- wildly new in the world, in a world where there's so much stigma. Yeah. Um. Still, you know, and so yeah, I mean, I I like. I sometimes may get a little too attached to kind of playing with these ideas. You know, I know there are so many other resources out there, the radar, uh, even Misha and Reed's class on attachment, like this Mm -hmm. isn't a brand new idea again, either. And I like, I'm like, oh, I, there's a charm for me about calling it a safer relationship conversation using the language that I, I want there to be safer power conversations, Mm -hmm. like ways that we can start to at least a tiny bit, bring up, like what's the power dynamic here and address that early. Oh, like I'm this person who you know has this role in community, and your person who like you know exists in this way. How's that going to change how our sex goes, or how our relating or relationship goes? And can we just go ahead and normalize like having a conversation about that early? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm like I'm like charmed by myself of like pulling this <laughs> trope of the safer something conversation. Um, yeah.
2: I'm I'm delighted that you threw it out there like that because it it It's awesome. It really did reframe it for me in a way that I had maybe been thinking about it but never been able to label it. And
1: yeah, yeah. Cause it, well, and it, oh, you, I was just going to say it just is testament to different language because can resonate with different people in different ways. And so it could like radars, you know, was one thing and like that can resonate. But then you reframing something as like the safer sex or safer relationship conversation like that lands in it for somebody else differently.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'm like lost in the analogy. I'm going to, I'm <laughs> going to go one more time because it's, it's fun. Like, cause I'm thinking about, and in, 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 right, we're talking a sexual health conversation, right? We talk about p- past experiences or if there are STIs. And I think to map that into the relationship would be, uh, maybe I'm coming out of something where I have some trauma around a thing and I need my partners to know that. So they can say, oh, I, you know, I maybe really struggle with, People who have a really anxiety, anxious attachment because of my own stuff. And so we can do this, but I now understand you better. You understand me better. We're going to have a better, a better chance of navigating this without hurting each other. And so those histories are to me almost just as important, um, if not more.
0: I love that. Yeah. Like a safer well being conversation, a safer mental health conversation.
1: Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. 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 Oh. We could go on and on.
2: I feel like we just, <laughs> just born ourselves a workshop out of this conversation. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh.
0: Yeah. Well, and y'all are, y'all are so beautifully engaged in like safer narration conversation. Like Thanks. I, I was, I was not doing it. I was not doing it. Uh, it's, it's value. Um tried to explain to um, Joe the other day, some of how you hold this podcast. And I still won't, um, but I. But what I want you to know is what I got from listening to your intro and to talking about it was that you actually are mindful and heartful about what these narratives are going to do out in the world and that that matters and we don't have to shy away from that. We have an agenda and the agenda is like supportive and the agenda is uplifting. That doesn't mean we pretend that there's nothing hard, but it also doesn't mean we come in and just like thrash around without a sense of care and what we're
2: trying to give to the world yeah Yeah. thank you yeah thank you yeah I think what's so just to uh, getting rid of our bit of humbleness for a moment and that is that what we have seen with this is the hard is really what people relate to I mean sure it's fun to be like oh I had an awesome experience at a sex club or I had you know it was easy for me after 10 years too or whatever but it's also the like oh, I didn't know anybody else was struggling with this. I, you know, to your point, thrashing around in the pool, like we aren't in there by ourselves doing it, but I think it's so easy to feel like I'm the only one out here struggling. How is, you know, how is everybody else doing this perfectly? And when you can get below that surface and be like, no, it's not perfect. It's, it's really hard. And these people who are maybe saying, oh, I've got six partners and yeah, it's a great, you know, that there's also hard under that. that that they didn't just arrive there and that's a daily practice of working on themselves working on their connections
0: totally yeah
2: well thank you I'm
0: all for that I'm a really big fan of um Nora I'm not gonna know her last name McConner I can't say her last name something Irish I want to say uh she writes she runs a podcast called terrible thanks for asking (laughs) <laughs> and i love that. she's really like she's really good at that like drawing that line between like how the the the, the grief is part of the joy mm-hmm. we need to be able to be in contact with our grief in order to feel our joy
2: mm-hmm. yeah and i think being able to share it with others to yeah. know yeah i'm grieving and hurting and somebody can pop up and go uh oh, you'll never believe this. I went through that same thing six months ago and they can look at them and go, Oh wow, you're still alive. Okay. I guess I can, you know, my path may not be your path, but it's possible. It's possible that I will be okay. And that I'm not going to be stuck in this dark place indefinitely forever and ever.
1: It's normalizing the humanness of being human. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean,
0: I, I, I went through a period of time where I thought I was just like, like, um, really fuck, fucked up um, about metamorph relationships, and it was. It, and I, I I come back over and over again to it was after um, MJ died, um, and actually I went through another. Uh, um, I've been through another pretty bad loss uh, about a year ago. Another one of my formative metamores died in a tragic way a woman named Jen Angel who runs Angel ran Angel Cakes uh, uh, bakery. She's an hmm. incredible person. Um, yeah, just a shout out to her too for showing up and being really like loving to me as a metamorph when it got off in a rocky way. But like I have definitely felt at times and and in recent times like I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like messing it up and I'm bad at it. Having to breathe. Having to come back to is, you know, what's true, that question, and settle down and look around and work on making amends when I am maybe treating people in ways that are not ideal. And then forgiving myself, forgiveness, like one of the hardest things we do, one of the hardest things we do is like understanding the difference between forgiving ourselves and that we won't do it again. It doesn't mean we are giving ourselves a green light to like repeat shitty behaviors. Um, we actually have to, we actually have to own that we won't repeat it in order to get to that moment of real forgiveness for ourselves, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, it's like, I, I'm still reestablishing ego around. Can I just like, Be clear that I have made amends for some of the places where I haven't been kind, or open, or spacious to my paramours or my metamours, and work from that place and let that be okay. That I'm working from that place. I'm fine. Times when you need to be, you need to be proud of yourself, Anna, because you're not going to get anywhere if you're only upset with yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah no it's such a such a good reflection of what you just said of like you're not going to be um proud of yourself if you're only up, ever upset with yourself and holding holding both of those like i I am a human I can make mistakes I can be unkind I can do things and there's chances for repair there's chances for things that can change we're all growing and shifting and to recognize that and to hold yourself in loving kind kindness through all of that um So that you, you are proud of yourself, that proud of yourself and proud of ourselves for being human and be able to be human in our fullness. Yeah. Thank you for everything today, Anna. Is there any, we could talk for hours.
2: I I just wanted to, I wanted to share one quick thing because it made me think of, uh, every Friday we, we, I follow somebody on Instagram, a friend of ours who does hilarious stuff around play, play workshops. They're incredible. not in the non-monogamy space, but he had one today that said, it was like a meme that's his Friday, like kind of funny uplifting post. It said, today I'm going to be easy on myself unless I make one single mistake and then I'm going to be really hard on myself. And I just like, that was, (laughs) it's just felt so relatable here. Like, no, yep, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be kind to Finn today, unless you fuck up once and then you're done.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't we all know that, you know? Like in the and the and then in what where I've learned some around um, Buddhist teachings through Western teachers, this idea of the second arrow, like we're already in the pain and then we like give ourselves more grief about the fact that we're in pain. Like I feel shame and it's like, Oh, I feel shame, I feel shame or uh-huh. et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And my, my, uh, like one of the biggest tools I have gotten to navigate all of that with, with you bringing Emma up the loving kindness is going back to Metta and going back to the whole system that that comes from called the Brahma Viharas. There's four of them. And you might know the another one called Mudita, which is the joy, universal joy. So it gets compared to compersion. I think it's a version of compersion, but there's also Upaka, which is peacefulness and karuna which is compassion and i have come to really understand how interlocking those four so benevolence compassion um joy and peace are and if i'm not able to access when i go practice with another one like if i'm not feeling joy from that you know for a metamor or my partner i'm like oh maybe i need compassion for myself or i'm feeling unstable maybe there's i need more peace in the system and I just try to go practice and they, and usually when I like pull from that system somewhere, the others get buoyed and I really love that system. I go to it over and over again to help myself. And I, I, yeah, I just think that's like a thing that I love to get to say whenever I'm somewhere. So I'm glad I got to say that right now,
1: that the Brahma Viharas are clutch friends.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you for bringing that in as well. Um, is there anything else you want to take it out in the world before we let you go? Um, I
0: think I just want to like, yeah, just like, again, be really pleased with the work that y'all are doing. I mean, narrative is so beautiful. I just really am glad to have you telling the hard, the good, the the fun, the weird, like this is massive. We have massive work to do when we're talking about changing culture and systems and you're like over in your corner shouting from your mountaintop and it is making a difference. Oh, thank,
1: thank you. you.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Anna. Well, I'm, I'm okay. Leaving it on that. No, <laughs> <laughs> which is so hard. I don't, I don't like, to, yeah, that is hard.
1: It is hard. It is hard.
2: I was tempted to ask you if you had a blooper too, but man, I don't know. Does that feel like? Would Would you want to share a bloop? Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be a sex one. A relational, non monogamy. I mean, you've been doing this almost twenty years. Has anything funny ever happened to you? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> like,
0: what? Yeah. Can I Can I pull it up right now? I know you do this. So I forgot to even consider what this could be. Um,
2: the trick is you have as much time as you want because editing will take care of any.
0: Right. Right. Let me think. Let me slow down. Um. I do, I do realize that I tend to be very um, genuine, earnest. William likes to joke that I'm so earnest. <laughs> um, and I am, and I like that about myself in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, something funny. It was, you know, like one, this is like a, I don't know if this is it, so let me say it and see if there's anything more. But one of the things that po- just pops into my mind is and when William and I got married and Some of our friends who were gay and maybe rightly so kind of struggled with the idea that we were going back in the closet because we had been saying we were poly and that we were going to kind of like hide in the um, framework of marriage. Um, And I was kind of annoyed at that at the time, but I get it a little bit more now. But I know that there were ways that we were still trying to shift out of that. And William told me the story that he went home to kind of talk to his family at one point, and he was talking to his dad. And we both were out to our parents pretty early on, Um, I think partly because of the nature of the careers that we, I think, even then knew we wanted. We wanted to be able to make some of our career around helping ourselves and others um, with non-monogamy So I think we intuited that we wanted to be out about it so that it became kind of our job to be out about it. And he goes home and he has this conversation with his dad and about that. We've decided we're going to get married so that I could get insurance. We also wanted to be married. And that was the trigger at that moment. And his dad was like, well, so she's going to, and I don't remember how he said it, but something else. So she's going to be a Winters or is she going to have your name or whatever? And William response was well she didn't fuck with my name i don't fuck with hers
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then i don't know but that felt really like joyful for me to like have yeah this kind of like yeah standing up against that in that way that was uh, sweet and irreverent and humorous to me
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing and it's it just sort of speaks to the nature of the the individualism the individuality and and autonomy yet the bond as you said earlier it's real it doesn't matter if you're living on other sides of the world not speaking your your story is your story and and it stands on its own i love that Mm -hmm. you don't need the last name to solidify it or anything
0: yeah yeah in fact we can like we can actually like build a world where we can solidify it in um like more stable and honest or um meaningful ways for ourselves Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah that the the sharing of a name or a or a certificate of marriage doesn't that does not create a safe container that doesn't that doesn't create anything other than a piece of paper and some legal some legal benefits but it doesn't it doesn't mean you're invincible to anything
0: yeah i mean again for my friends who are gay it does create safety
2: sure sure in the
0: larger world sure and even in some ways in our psyches structurally because we've been been trained to feel safe in the the monogonormative narrative and it has this place where it what you're saying Finn, is like but it lacks some of that you can't totally do it and that's and that can be really risky to like let it hang only on that
2: yeah and i don't and i didn't i think i meant it mostly from a framework or from a standpoint of it doesn't make your partnership impervious to the risks uh of other partnership, like, or, you know, we didn't get married and all of a sudden Emma doesn't see another person as attractive. There's not a chance that somebody could come in. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't shield us from the world. It, in, in many ways, I think in many ways, relationally.
0: I, yeah, I hear you. I think you're totally right. I mean, I think it's like, how do we manage both? Yeah. And there, and that's like kind of cool that like on some level we're like, well, we're going to get married and we're going to make use of those benefits. Mm-hmm. And create safety for ourselves. And we're not going to do it the way that you're telling us to. Yeah. We're yeah. going to keep our names. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll actually let you go now. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also, thank, you thank you so well, much. I, I could keep talking too, clearly. So thank I you know, for giving me the space. You
2: know. Well, maybe a, maybe a part two through 10 is on the way. So <laughs> we will we will keep circling in orbit. So I'm very grateful for your time today and all of your work, Anna.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Happy Metamore Day.
2: Happy happy Metamore Day. Day.
1: (laughs) And we're back. Thank you for everything, Anna. We're so excited to get this episode out there as we've shared and for just all the amazing work that you do. Happy Metamore Day, everyone. And a reminder go check out all of Anna's work using the links on our and the podcast show notes on our website.
2: Yeah. And anybody who happens to be in the Bay Area, uh, we probably should have mentioned this in the intro, but it completely slipped our minds. Tonight, February 28th, we're going to be in Oakland at a bar called District. Uh, celebrating Metamore Day with all of the other Metamores and all of the amazing people, including Anna. So come out, check it out. We'd love to see you. Uh, we will put the information in the podcast show notes. Yes. So hey, thank you, Anna.
1: Thank you, thank you. A reminder that our next virtual meet and greet is going to be next Thursday. That is March seventh. Sign up on our website on the banner on our homepage. And I think that's
2: it. Don't forget to get yourself some Metamore cards. You can you can even send them to yourself if you want. Why not? Yeah. They're, a, they're super cute. You could send us a Metamore card. Yeah, you could also do that. I'd love that. <laughs> Don't forget, you can do that. The links are in the show notes below next week.
1: Ooh, and next week we bring back Jill and Jack. We're breaking
2: records next week.
1: Yes, uh, we bring back Jill and Jack. They were on episode 97, so that was quite a while ago.
2: That was a few days ago. They
1: were also on our Focus Fridays season 1.7. That was the episode number um, a few years ago as well. And then they they were also part of the Power of Witness series that we did a few years ago with Catherine. So they've been on the podcast quite a bit, but we haven't heard their personal update in a while. So we dive in, talk about the last few years, and it's an incredible conversation.
2: Yeah, these two will blow your mind every single time you listen to their their story and to listen to them work through and talk through the things that they do. You do not need to go and listen to episode 97. However, it is f- Fucking amazing so i recommend it you also don't need to listen to the entire power of witness series in which they were part of it It is
1: also amazing it is
2: amazing and it definitely deep dives into their partnership but this conversation we have next week is amazing the updates that that have happened over the last few years are incredible the life changes the transformations i'm super pumped yes If I didn't want to get it out there so bad, I'd wait till episode four hundred. But I'm not waiting. We'll bring them (laughs) back. Or how about three fifty? That's not a milestone. (laughs) It's not even a palindrome. Emma would have been like three fifty-three, maybe.
1: Uh, Should have waited till three (laughs) thirty-three.
2: Sorry, Jill and Jack. We couldn't wait.
1: (laughs) We're just too excited to get their story out out there as well.
2: All right. Well, with that, we hope you all have a wonderful week ahead. We hope you celebrate the hell out of Metamore Day. We will see you next week for Jill and Jack. Again, you don't have to go back and listen, but they are amazing conversations.
1: And I think that's it.
2: That is it. We'll see everybody in a week.
1: Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.